Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Outre-Terre. It is not intended for children. Jack Morrow here. This is going to be a long one. Gonna break it up. The message? Jack. There have been reports of a man-eating albino alligator within the Pearl River Wildlife Management Zone. Investigate, kill, return. Government employees and agents have not been forthcoming with assistance, dismissing the claims of victims and other agencies alike. Avoid. Transportation has been provided through Madame Laveau's and Sons water boat rental. We trust you can pilot a boat. Location of the animal attacks and police reports are included in the file. Boats are just water cars, right? I never thought I would say this, but I wish Louisiana had Missouri's humidity. Even in the cold, which was merely cold for Louisiana, not cold for anyone else, I could feel the floating water lather me down to the underwear and slime. Sixty-something degrees? My ass. It was hotter. It was colder. The trench coat did nothing. Agent John Lamartin was nowhere to be found as well. Big surprise. At least a corpse hasn't shown up yet. I slipped by his New Orleans office. It was a small room and bathroom affair next to a garishly decorated Mardi Gras-themed tourist trap. He once told me the beads they give out are more edible than the food. I wouldn't doubt him. I checked with the manager. They knew him, but hadn't seen him in quite some time. I didn't order anything. Instead, I got barbecue from a 16-year-old entrepreneur named Mr. Henderson, who sold it to me from the back of a pickup truck in a strip mall that only had one shop left in it, selling third-tier network connectivity. Good smoke on the meat. Little petrol flavor. The man had his exhaust jury rigged to the exhaust of the smoker. He was as confused as I was. Said it came like that. I got some for the road. Mr. Henderson was ecstatic. As I drove down to Madame Laveau's, which sounded more like a fortune teller, I considered my prey. I am not a particularly driven hunting man. I know many of my co-workers considered the work hunting more than investigating. I have hunted. The Shawnee taught us how to sneak up on a stag with bare feet and bald fists. But it's never been a drive. I'm more of a spider than a wolf. Give me a nice defensible corner and a crack in the wall to hide in. Besides, I've heard too many horror stories from drunk hunters. Was it a black bear stealing your kill? Or a skunk ape? The journey turned from smooth highway to potholed rural roads to dirt track quick. The outskirts of New Orleans was far less than a hundred miles away 
Already things felt older, and that city rivals St. Louis in age. The trees loomed over me, thick and drooping. Moss, Spanish or otherwise, covered every surface not covered by vines and stranger plants. When I left the car, I could fancy that the vegetation pulsed and twitched against a breeze as much as with it. At my feet, life bloomed in the dirt, falling away at the road. But only the road. Mushrooms filled every crevice to bulging. The wet mud that marked the first steps of the Pearl River influence glistened. Red, green, white with molds and stranger things. I could imagine that they were known to science, but some places are hidden from logical minds. Just because a place has a road doesn't mean anyone ever paid attention to it. Above, I could feel the weight of the sheer vegetation never-ending and growing above my head. It was like a blanket that didn't warm, and the sickly light that came down did not nourish what little skin I was showing off. I pulled out a duffel bag full of weapons I hoped worked on albino alligators that could bite fishing boats in half. There were wooden steps to follow, old, soft, but carefully swept of debris. The route took me deeper into growth, so thickly studded with cypress trees that 100 feet felt like a new state or country compared to what was before. The twisting path led me into a white shack, bigger than the hovel most would imagine, smaller than the house most would call livable. It stood on raised stumps, still raw and bark-covered. The paint looked fresh, but green moss grew under the ledges and door jams. Symbols, holy and otherwise, hung down on threads and jangled in the stillness. I couldn't tell if there was a breeze or not. The weather report said something about a breeze, but I doubted weathermen like I doubt official government reports. Same source. The jingling practically hypnotized me. These weren't cheap little trinkets from the Area 51 store in the middle of a city that was just a front for a local weed dealer. These were bejeweled, gold-plated, or just gold. Silver gleamed like it was new. Crosses bumped with strange fetishes made of polished black wood. Stars and moons swung around each other. Others I didn't know the origin of wrapped themselves around neighbors so old they still remembered Rome trying to wipe them out. Some were just clay tablets with scratch marks that could have been Sumerian. An old woman who could only be Madame Laveau or her granddaughter, who remembered her grandmother telling her stories about the Revolutionary War while dandling her on her knee. Thomas Jefferson was quite the looker, I'm sure. The elderly African-American woman nodded her head. Usually folks knock on the door polite-like. I wondered if she had really gotten that dress from the Revolutionary War. Her hair was in a white cloth cap and her eyes were perpetually closed. Her hands played with knitting needles with a complexity that assured me she could easily perform surgery on a wrecked, at-capacity clown car. Even though she didn't open her eyes, her head moved like she could still see. The blind, monster, human spirit, move as if they know your direction, but not your location. I'm expected. To be sure, my son went to put the finishing touches on your boat. 
Anyway, what brings a knight like you out so far from civilization? I ain't seen a man like you since Prince Louis came down the bayou to fight the Red One and save Marcel Camille. I'm not a knight. I'm a detective. Maz, we It's a spirit, not a title. The West always had knights, men who pushed themselves beyond their lives and dreams, powered by God and courage. That and their God gave them the world. Mostly they died badly, especially the best. She opened her eyes and I took a step back. Her yellow eyes shocked me. The blood veins gripped her sightless orbs like the vines on the trees around her. No par for Creole types in your world. Only the bayou can take us. You got all the plains, the forest, and the winter. We got summer heat, but feeded water and the ways in between. She spat into the water. My son will be done soon. The engine is causing us problems. It's old and gribbled. Maybe afraid to have you on. Your guardian spirit is something fierce. I can't see him, but I feel him. Yes, sir. The spirits are cringing away like rats. I grunted. There was a table with lemonade on it with an extra cup. I poured for her and myself. What are you? A voodoo, madam? Gonna hex me or anything? I'm gonna kill a white alligator. Knowing my luck, he's an incarnation of one of your gods. Demons. The drink was tart. Sweet, lemony, too sweet, but this was the South. A part of me wondered whether I should turn my weapons on the madam. She was not a Christian. If she could see or redirect spirits, be casual with my death and the lives of others unrelated to her, she could be a thing of outre-terre, a medicine woman for that blood family of voodoo spirits that lived in unhallowed graveyards in the filthy places of the earth. Whatever pain and oppression they faced, it is often as not struck back with interest. What's more, voodoo is young, old roots, and it hasn't forgotten the power of blood and death with its demonic patrons close at hand. That makes it more dangerous than some guru preaching prosperity in California after spending five minutes with some foreign swami. I know the truth. Mother taught me that Christ is a true God, Son of God Almighty, because he shed blood for us and conquered the grave properly, without exception or condition. Then again, I had drunk lemonade with her. Whatever I thought of voodoo, I had accepted hospitality. These things were set in motion by God himself, with human society as a voting member. Until she attacked me, I would not break hospitality. Whatever I am, and whatever I know, I'm not going to break a bond of honor. How can I call on friends to help if I'm faithless? I broke my navel-gazing. What friends? I didn't even know if most of my co-workers were alive or dead. Probably dead. Maybe I drank the lemonade just so I could have an excuse to not act on my fear. Ah, oh, you can try. It ain't so mighty as the red one, but that croc will put up a fight against anyone. Gator. Sure is. You don't mind. Madame Laveau finished some complex knot at the end of a row and took the lemonade, nodding her head. Nah, if you think about it, he wouldn't be much 
of anything if he could be killed by you. Besides, he, he ain't really, well, he more devil than God. Uh, true evil ain't in the natural order. When you get to them poor fishermen's watery grave, look for the circle of mangrove trees. It was an old site for the Choctaw priests. The Baptists put up a church for the fishermen families who weren't Catholic, but since they stopped coming, well... She shrugged, and large man, obviously her son from the look on his face, came up the stairs around the back of the house. Good luck. I'll pray things work out for you. Thanks. Her son, Baron, by the name tag stitched on his overalls, led me down to a low-slung dock. A few rickety boats floated up and down on the waves that seemed more mud than water. He grunted at me and pointed. I got on the one he indicated. The engine wasn't new, but some parts were. Baron took care of his equipment. I got on. We nodded to each other. A man of few words. I wonder if he went days without talking to another soul, too. The bug chugged along, taking its sweet time. I'm used to bird noises in Missouri. The occasional cicadas, the sound of possums hissing in the night, and deer staring into the headlights. I was not prepared for the vast swarm of insects. The chittering, chattering, squeaking, gnawing, buzzing insects, waving in my face, flying past my ears, investigating my socks, and climbing up my pants. It wasn't hateful, but lazy, like they had all the time in the world. I passed by the wreck of the fishing boat, two halves moored to a nearby tree, mostly by soggy ropes and police tape. It was a bigger, newer than mine. I didn't investigate it. I didn't trust Madame Laveau, but I'm sure we had similar feelings about me finding the same white alligator. Crocodile. I figured the woman with yellow eyes might know something I didn't. The fishing boat was missing chunks out of it. Each triangle-shaped hole measured feet across. I'm surprised that the police had enough of their bodies left to ID anyone. There were splashes of blood across the bow and near the propeller engine. Insects swarmed over rotting fish in a lost cooler. I opened my duffel bag. In this case, I had several sticks of TNT, a shotgun that fired barbell slugs, which were not the most accurate, but would leave exit wounds like twin lopsided basketballs, a couple grenades, which I wasn't going to return to the Pinkerton Armory, come what may, and cream of the crop, a Tommy gun, with several drum magazines of forty-five ammunition. At this time, I took stock. In front of me, some thirty feet from the wrecked fishing vessel, was a circle of mangrove trees. I couldn't see them well from the distance, but there were markings too uniform for randomness, too purposeful for any animal. All over the tree trunks, leaves to roots. I didn't plan on getting close to see them. Besides, the current there pulled me towards the haunted grove. Something rolled under the water, not breaking the surface tension. Something was in there. Instead, I aimed for the only building I had seen in about an hour. It was a church in a wooden Southern Baptist style, white with a single tower where a bell would sit to ring in the services. It was isolated, 
far enough from any tree that I could see. Vines reached out and caressed the bare edges of ruined roof and ceiling. The paint on the white walls curled and floated in the white breeze. The stout timbers keeping the bottom from the lip of the waters were black with age, pitted with moss and strange lichens. There was a long dock descending the entrance. The good people came to church in their boats, not cars. I checked the current, still pulled towards the probable lair. Would the water pull away on the opposite side as well? The inside of the church was as much as the outside. It still looked like itself, but it was old, rotted. Entrance led to a belfry tower I didn't dare try the rope of, but could still see the barest glint of a brass bell, held up by a still strong beam. The pews couldn't hold weight. The floor was breaking in places. There was an old piano in one corner. There was no song books, but I could still see the numbers of the last Sunday's song in a wooden plaque. The cross behind the pulpit held firm, but the pulpit had fallen forward, and the baptismal font broke open, stared down into the waters. I checked. My ear, arms, and ammo. I spent a moment in contemplation, then pulled out a stick of TNT. I could have baited the thing to land, but in my experience, these things are crafty, and always faster than they look. I prepared good footholds and places to retreat to, while blasting away at it, should the TNT not do its job. I found the current again and pulled a flat piece of wood from one of the ruined boats still tied to the docks. With some experimentation, I got its timing. With the next one, I put a stick of dynamite on a likely piece and let it go. Of course, I still had several dry sources of fire, despite Mother Nature's best efforts. The explosive slid into the circle and detonated with a satisfying boom. Of course, I watched for the possibility that I just gibbed, blown up, fragged the white alligator. No such luck. There never was going to be such luck. It wouldn't be worth Pinkerton time otherwise. It came after me with the speed of a missile. Its length was far more than some 10 to 20 feet most alligators can grow to. I fired the Thompson into the water, feeling the smooth power of the forty-five ammunition. Several bullets splintered ridges and bones. I saw no blood. Instead, I pulled out a grenade and tossed it at its snout. The grenade passed by and rolling down and under the white, ovoid, and thrashing mass. The spray blinded me. I backed away from the water. I had the Tommy gun and the 1911 on my person. The shotgun and the rest of the TNT was in a bag near the door. Of course, I had a set of false hopes. Really, though, I only had a single thought. I'm going to have to get up close and personal to the point of knife work if I have any hopes of killing it. It had to have a big mouth. Let's see what my shotgun's barbell rounds did to it from the inside. I caught the tail going under the docks. I fired the gun into the back. These didn't ricochet off, and a hissing rumble broke out of the water. The next instant, one of the ancient dock supports were ripped out. I tumbled back, sliding down. I planted my feet on one of the broken boats and spit the rest of the drum mag into the ancient beast's face. It reared up at me like a black hole drawing me in. It was a crocodile, 
the V-shaped face large enough to shatter the boats I had seen around me, and then some. I could have fit my legs down its throat without choking it. Each tooth was like a long steak knife, the gullet a rainbow-colored pattern of white and pink flesh. It pulsed in blue steam, enveloping me with a stench of rot, fish, and sulfur. The heat made me sweat. The hiss roar rose in pitch and anger, becoming louder and louder until I screamed just to hear anything else. I hip-fired into the beast demon's mouth, tearing the delicate flesh to ribbons. I pierced its tongue and shredded its gullet until my gun dry-fired. It bled. Even as bullets ripped through it, it struggled, pushing and pulling away the wood protecting me. It heaved and the wood splintered again. I slung my tommy gun and pulled myself away, piercing my hands with splinters, even through my gloves. I got to solid ground well the church as the white crocodile thrashed in pain and hatred i could feel it hating me like a weight on my shoulders willing me to die i could see all along its scales little fetishes and symbols nailed to its flesh the usually languid eyes were focused on me before i could pull my 1911 to strike its eyes out it sunk into the swamp its mighty limbs pulling it under the docks right under my feet Another of the supports were torn out, nearly sending me into the docks of torpid waters of the blood-specked bayou. I ran for the entrance in my shotgun. I pointed it at the docks. Nothing. It had gone silent. It was planning something. I checked the water. No slip of white tail of something far too fast for that bulky the cloudy waters settled the insect noises returned cycling back into their absence i took a step back from the edge the water went still as if nothing ever happened even the shattered dock settled into a sort of normalcy one might have thought it had always been broken except for the floating splinters the hissing roar began again it filled the air of the chapel rattling the remains of the windows and shuttering the very foundations I prepared myself. The shotgun was prepared. I was prepared. I shouted a wordless and angry, Come on! The white crock burst out of the baptismal font at the back, behind the pulpit. Its strength and speed beyond my imagining. The white scales glistened with the blood and stapled idols and metals. The eyes focused on me and me alone. Its tree trunk-like arms pulled itself through the hole, ignoring the wood and pews, smashing them in rage. I fired the shotgun again and again, the barbells smashing through the thick scales and pulsing within the massive thing of flesh and hate driving itself towards me. Each round met flesh with a spurt of blood scales and rippling as the damage magnified itself towards a vicious exit wound. The white crocodile did not stop, even when one of the rounds struck its head and utterly destroyed its eye. It threw itself forward, smashing the door out. I scrambled away, trying to stay away from its teeth and the collapsing floor of the church. I reloaded and fired, each round punishing the fire. My hands and arms creaked with the strain of the recoil, and I could feel my wrist wanting to give way. I put my foot on the stairs into the bell tower. 
The wood nearly broke under my weight. It held. The beast stuck its head into the space, snapping and biting the air. Its shoulders became stuck, bowing the old wood. I ran up the stairs, firing into its head. Craters of red, bleeding flesh burst apart, spraying me down with foul blood. The beast did not die. The tower swayed and cracked. Above, the bell rang with the shaking. I loaded my shotgun once more with the last of my rounds. Aiming up, I shot the spar, holding the bell. It only took one shot. I heard the bell ring one last time and pressed myself against the wall, feeling the mass of metal pass beside me and strike the monstrous head of the crocodile. I heard nothing but a single rolling ring of the bell. I could do nothing but hold myself to the wall until the ringing stopped, its force like a blanket pushing me back and away, squashing down the crocodile. The hissing stopped, and I opened my eyes to a twitching mass of flesh and claws and tail. The beast held down by the mass of the bell silently crushed all the church behind it and threw itself, tail whipping through the supports, against the tower. I ran up the faltering stairs, and as the tower started to collapse, I leaped to the center spine of the church's roof and watched the bell tower bury the white crock. I climbed down to the remains of the dock. The only pieces of the crocodile I could see was a twitching tail. The wreckage would rise and fall as if the thing breathed. I decided that this was another job for knives and dynamite. Let's see you live after I fill your thoracic cavity with a few choice sticks of TNT, you oversized handbag. When my hearing returned, I heard the sound of motorboats. Before I could do anything, turn and face them, I felt the thump prick of a needle entering my back. I tried to pull a gun and turn to the threat, but I could not. I fell to my knees. The blackness filled my eyes, tried to consume me, more vicious than the crock. I fought it with everything I had. I could not move my hands without falling to my face. My nails dug into the wet rot wood, and I rallied. I wouldn't be beat. I wouldn't be caught. The blackness, inch by inch, crept in and out. I didn't hear them creep up on me, but I felt the rifle butt to the head. Part 2 to follow. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio, licensed under an attribution non-commercial share-alike international license. This episode was written and performed by Ben Wheeler. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on superversivesf.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts, or email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com. No apostrophe. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.